Oh, good off without it. She's good off without it. He's running down the road running running bikes here. <laughs> oh, this is genius. The man in the underpants has just got, got himself bike. a Farnese Beanie bike. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 43 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who Underpant Man is. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And this week again, a couple of great reviews have come in on iTunes. The first one, great cycling podcast by Marco Fruity. Love it. Keep up the great work and highly recommended. Thank you very much, Marco, for dropping that. The second one, a must subscribe for any cyclist from Nick Doss. I subscribe to four or five cycling podcasts and have tried and rejected a handful more. And this podcast is as good or better than the best of them. Damien has got the format down pat. The podcast is well-researched, regular, just the right length, never boring, and always entertaining and informative. Well, so many compliments. I really am humbled by that, Nick. Thank you very much for writing it. I do appreciate it. And I'm glad you are getting some value from what I put together every week. And a quick reminder to anybody that's listening, you can drop an iTunes review in there. Five stars really do rock my world. So the news this week, and it's big news, of course, because the Giro started last weekend. I got to say, I'll run through some highlights from the stages, but from stage one, I was kind of a little disappointed. I felt that Goss blew it. He had a perfect lead out going in there. Yes, they've said that they went a little early, but holy crap, what more can you do for the guy? I don't know. He's really disappointing me. And like everyone is talking about, well, the people I know and they're talking about, he's going to have to renegotiate his contract at the end of this season and save Green Edge a whole stack of money. Cavendish, yes, you are too good. Congratulations on the win and wearing the pink jersey for a stage. But stage two really just felt like a formality for the Skyborgs. They came out, they dominated, they put the first top five riders onto the GC for that day. You know, you can control a time trial sky, but a road race is a whole different matter. And stage three, how awesome was the final descent? I could not believe Hydell having a crack. Yes, he was probably just trying to stay out of the way. Cadell, like a ninja, sneaking up there for second place. And a little premature riding from them. That's kind of my take on it. I'm not getting my hopes up just yet. I think... For some reason, it feels like they're just trying to get it while the going is easy, and maybe they're not going to have it when it comes down to the crunch. I've got to say, though, sticking up the front, everybody says it, and I'm sure it's harder to actually do in practice. But stage four, Wiggins, 17-second loss, stuck behind a crash with 1.8 kilometers to go. Uh, what can you say? Really, what can you say? That shows, it shows either the heat was on, and he wasn't there. He wasn't putting himself in the right position. It's not that big in the grand scheme of things, but 17 seconds, you never know. 17 seconds could mean the difference between him winning and losing. What I'm looking forward to next week, stage five, Goss redeeming himself. Let's see if he can do it. Stage eight, the time trial, the first 55-kilometer individual time trial. We'll see who comes to the fore then, and can Green Edge sneak in a win? Stage 10 is when we get some serious climbing underway. It's not going to be a deal-breaker, but we are going to see the contenders coming out, 
and showing their cards and we'll have a better picture of who is going to win this thing. And what can I say? I promised last week that I would have a pick this week. I'm sticking with Nabali for the win. I've got to say, I don't know about Wiggins. It is a really lumpy tour and Nabali just has that dog in him that just goes for it. And so I'm looking forward to watching him race, but he's definitely my pick. And that's all I'm going to say on that matter for now. Now, the Tour of California, it's starting on Sunday, May 12th. I'm not as excited about this. I'm sure all the Americans are getting amped, just like the Tour Down Under gets the Aussies pumped. No Chris Horner, which is a bit of a bummer. I'm not sure how many years the dude has left in him. He's 41. He's rocking out. It's pretty amazing. But who's in there for the win? you got Van Garderen, Rogers, Fletcher, Schleck. I put my money actually on Cam Meyer. Yes, I'm going with another Aussie. He's on top of the list because he must be hungry after his crap starts of the year. Crap, I mean having to go to hospital for surgery for a saddle sore. Ouchie wawa. All right. Also, I'd like to see Michael Matthews knock out a stage win or two. He's been quiet this year ever since he signed and moved over to Green Edge. Goss is not going to be in his way, so hopefully he's going to be the man they're going to be working for in the sprints. He is going to have to mix it up with Sagan, though, so that will be the challenge. But good luck to you, Mr. Michael Matthews. And while I am on the topic of Sagan, Semi-Pro Cycling has had an influx of listeners from Slovakia lately. Fans of Peter and Uri Sagan, no doubt, but definitely welcome to the show. And a quick bit of news hot off the press that I wanted to raise was Richie Port. Damn, okay, I apologize to everyone. This is very Australian-centric, but Richie Port has just signed a supposedly two-year contract. It's not 100% confirmed yet, but another two-year contract with Sky. Two more seasons. He's 28. Green Edge did have interest in him. Do you think that he will be able to win a Grand Tour in the next two years with Sky? This is the question. Tell me your answer. Uh, Do you think he's got it? Are they going to let him do it? Will Froome just piss off and go to another team, and then that will be the end of it? But speaking of Sky, Brailsford has come out and said that Froome will be the leader for the Tour. Blah, 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 blah. The problem that we kind of face now with a lot of younger athletes who grew up with a lot of these tools and technologies is that now I find that I spend a lot of my time in coaching, not teaching guys about what a kilojoule means or what, you know, wattage means or how to, how to, how to break up their training intensity zones, but I spend a lot of time teaching them feel. And I spend a lot of time trying to uh, get them to really become or get in tune with their own bodies. So now there's this backlash of, well, tell me how you felt today in the race. You know, what are, what are the things you used to describe it? How did you sleep? You know, how are you doing emotionally? You know, did you get in a fight with your girlfriend? And how does that fundamentally affect power output, right? Um, the, the neat thing is, is that when, when you can get guys to, 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 to kind of draw internally and, and understand their own field, Again, this is where the technology really, really helps because they get immediate feedback. Um, I was telling, you know, Davis and I were having a conversation about Taylor, about how coachable Taylor is. Um, he takes advice so, so well. But I think that part of it is that when you give Taylor advice, he can immediately go out there on the bicycle right now and see if it works for, for himself and immediately understand, yeah, this is something that works for me, this is something that doesn't. All of a sudden, that subjective feeling gets 
either uh, confirmed or, or not confirmed. Dr. Alan Lim brings up a very interesting point there. Yes, yes, I am a big supporter of quantifying data, but we also don't want to lose the feel of ourselves on the bike. And this covers your off-the-bike mental game, emotional intelligence, and mood awareness. I could go on and on about this, but I've narrowed down today's show to talk about judging your intensity level, especially in training. I got thinking about this because my heart rate monitor crapped out this week and it wouldn't sink, which reminded me of the importance of understanding the Borg scale and your body when it comes to the intensities that you're riding at during training. So having an understanding of where you sit intense-wise without the data in front of you is important if your data does break, so your power media heart rate monitor doesn't work. Now, I don't know the chances of that, so I tried to expand this a little bit and think about it a bit more broadly and perhaps combine all into one so you can get a better understanding of how all these things work together when you're training. When you are training, you're training your mind to recognize the state that your body is in. So you're trying to prepare for high intense efforts under pressure. And when you're training over 100% of your FTP, the shift is from feeling like the intensity is controlling you and then really moving to a feeling of being in control of it. This is something that definitely does come with fitness and during each season and over several seasons, it's something that will most likely happen through regular consistent training anyway, but being aware of how your mind reacts under pressure can be the difference between being able to create power and intensity rather than just being a slave to it. I don't know if you exactly know what I mean here, but it's kind of like when you're up a hill and you're so erratic and you're moving around because you're not used to it and so you can't actually get into a good rhythm or can you just relax into the actual power and the intense state that your mind and body is in and then get the most out of that. I really think that you can take back the control when your brain recognizes what your body is doing and it doesn't fold in on itself, which is really important. But this then has the effect of spinning your brain in an upward spiral, positive energy. So even if you are under pressure, you can stay relaxed and confident that you can return to your set intensity and power through to the finish or the top of the climb or wherever you are in the bike race. You can also anchor the number to your power meter, but there's a reason I wouldn't go straight from your power meter to your brain. And it's because you want to leave a buffer like RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion, This gives you power, and no pun intended there, but confidence is definitely a better way to say it. Having your mental arsenal of knowing where you are at physically at any moment in a race gives you a better gauge if you find yourself outside of your training numbers. We all know that racing takes us to places we never thought we could go, but we're never going to get there if we always stay within the numbers. I am aware of the potential that you may lack confidence at certain times. If you need reassurance that you're traveling well, then by all means refer to your power meter. But pushing yourself outside of your numbers is not about pushing yourself outside of your limits for the sake of it. It's following a wheel in a break or up a climb. It's that time in the race where it's make it or break it. And this is where RPE allows you to push harder with the confidence that you have more left in the tank. This works inversely as well, though, because it will help you make decisions about tactics and courage race winning moves on the fly while your brain is mush. Another place where you can transfer this knowledge is from training indoors with virtual power. Because if you don't have a power meter, taking what it feels like at different power zones is going to help you in real-world training and racing without a power meter. Again, the buffer that RPE allows 
giving you control of your output more than matching your heart rate to your virtual power directly. Okay, so the actionable stuff. I'm going to wrap the awareness around numbers on a scale and the Borg scale to be precise. I've mentioned the Borg scale before, and if you have been around a while, you would have heard about it, definitely. But it really is the best way to gauge what your body is doing and estimate your mental game at intensity as well. So the Borg scale, it's a simple method of rating perceived exertion and it can be used to gauge your level of intensity in training and competition. Perceived exertion is an individual's rating of exercise intensity formed by assessing their body's physical signs, such as heart rate, breathing rate, and perspiration and sweating. I was introduced to this in the early days of testing as a junior athlete, where at the end of every wattage increase in a VO2 max test, I would be asked to estimate my RPE, and at the end of the test, I would be asked how I think I went, I would always actually reply 19. There was one time I replied a 20, and that is absolute max exertion. I had trouble getting off the bike. I'd actually pissed my pants during the test. Something about knowing that you've reached 20, that you know that you've hit your max exertion. It's also happened in races where I've blacked out in mountain bike races, waking up by hitting trees. That's something that a power meter or a heart rate monitor really can't tell you, and so that's where this number comes in handy. On a side note, there are definitely other ways you can do this. You need to be able to judge your intensity levels while you're out training. Many times you may not have a heart rate monitor or power meter while you're training. So to judge your intensity levels, use the talk test. For recovery riding, easy paced riding, you should be able to carry on a conversation without interruption. For moderate endurance paced riding, you should be able to get one to two sentences out without having to take a breath. When you're going hard or at lactate threshold, then two to three words, then you're going to have to take a breath. When you're going max, flat out, as hard as you can go, well, there's no talking at all. There's only breathing. The talk test and counting test that Carmichael is talking about here, I just don't think they have merit in cycling. Um, maybe running and maybe for just general fitness users, but I did try this while I was out riding and I didn't really get it. It was mostly vanity that kept me from exploring it further because, I mean, talking out loud is slightly more manageable when you're on your own, but if you're in a race or a bunch ride and muttering under your breath does not count because the talk test for it to be effective, you must speak aloud. It's really daft because there is no way that you can quantify over different sentences or it just, in my mind, doesn't work. So I just fell back to the Borg scale as the best way to do it. So back into the Borg scale, you can use it to rein a trading ride as a whole, and this would be a fairly accurate log of intensity. But today, I'm only going to focus on what your body is going through and what indicators you can relate to when selecting your RPE scale numbers. So if we have a think about what's actually happening to your body in relation to the scale, There's two types of common scales, the original 15-point scale, 6 to 20, and the 11-point scale, 0 to 10. I lean more towards the 15-point scale because that's what I'm used to, and that's the only reason I do it. I think the 11-point scale has more merit, though. It's easier to get up to speed with. My recommendation is definitely start with the 11-point scale. And if you find this is too simple or it's just not working, then make the switch because by then, at least, you'll be familiar with anchoring a number to a feeling. So the 15-point scale, I'm not going to get into it, but I have got on the website a list of where your effort should be. 
approximately in relation to the numbers that you're selecting. But like I mentioned earlier, the scale can be anchored to your heart rate or power zones, but feeling what the number means to you is where you're going to get the most value from understanding your RPE. I'll reference the zones here, but let's also talk about the feelings that your body is going through. Let's actually think about it in three different ways in each number that I bring up. If we think about how the brain is feeling, how we are breathing, and what our legs and body are doing, and how we're actually generating the power. I think that's going to give a really good way to piece together and remember what each number means. So if we start at the bottom, and you're looking at zero, zero is absolutely nothing at all. So if you're rating a zero, nothing at all. So it pretty much has nothing to do with the bike. We only start moving into the numbers when we're talking about one and two. And one and two can be linked to active recovery. So active recovery, you can basically do this forever, all day, every day, ongoing. The thing with active recovery is that you should be functioning perfectly. So your brain is 100% active. Your breath is normal where you could even be breathing out of your nose and your legs are functioning and working fine. There is little to no stress on your system and nothing is worrying you. It's only when you start moving up slightly to RPE Overlap here of two and three is when you get into the endurance level, where you train in the base zone. And so that's where your body is familiar with moving at a slightly increased rate, but we're still only talking about fairly light to moderate. So your brain, it really doesn't have any effect on the brain. The body, maybe some slight breathing if you are starting to fatigue after being out on the bike for a while. And the same with your legs. A slight fatigue or a slight ache is more what you're going to experience rather than any sharp pains hitting your body. And stepping up now to RPE 3 or 4, this is linked to tempo. And tempo, as you know, is just moving along in a bunch at a fairly steady pace, keeping the pressure on. So this is where we will start to have things creep into our mind. Where is your brain at when you're actually doing tempo? Are you feeling confident that you can keep doing turns in the bunch? Are you okay with the people that you're riding with? Your legs will be feeling it. Your legs will start to feel, but you'll still be able to move in circles. And so it is putting your body under some stress, but you can still maintain this for quite a long time. Your breathing, it will pick up slightly and the feel of your breath, it will be slightly heavier, but you won't really need to control it as much. It's when we start moving into RPE four and five and six and seven. So four and five is around the lactate threshold. So the lactate threshold is where your brain starts to question itself. And so this is the area I'm talking about with, if you get familiarity with this and you can control this, then you can control your power and you feel confident. You can go with brakes, you can go with attacks, you can you can ride knowing that you can stick at this level and it's not based on the number that you're looking at. It's based on the feeling that, yes, okay, I'm familiar with this and my body works fine. Okay, you're not going to be able to sustain this for a long time. Threshold traditionally is a maximum of a 60-minute effort if you do have that fitness. But sticking with the brain, because we're talking over the power and heart rate, over 100% of that threshold power or threshold heart rate, it's really now where we have to concentrate on getting that power down and the brain plays a lot in this. And so you, this is the area where you'll start to feel like you can't put complete thoughts together and you are wanting to then draw on a positive mantra or a chorus of a song or something that you can link to. And then every time that you feel like you get in that zone and you can complete that mantra, that's when you know that you're there. 
as far as your breath, this is where you're going to have to start controlling your breathing. You're going to have to consciously think about how you want to breathe and then once you move into this zone, you're going to have to start concentrating on getting those breaths correctly and part of a rhythm. Also with your legs, this is where the pain starts to set in, especially if you start fatiguing after being in this zone for a little while. You're going to have to consciously think about what your legs are doing and where the power is coming from and how you can keep generating that power. You may need to shift and change something at a certain point to keep that power going, but if you're aware this is going to happen and how you can adjust to that, then it's going to be a lot easier when it comes down to those moments when your brain starts to fatigue but your body just takes over. When you're moving into the six or seven of the RPE, you're really at the top limit of what your brain and conscious thought are capable of when it comes to working out in the middle of an effort. So the feel of this is your brain has shut down. It's not its capable of only very minimal thought. So a lot of this now is working on instinct, especially if it's up a hill and people are attacking. You're going to have to rely on instinct and it's only when you train your brain in these scenarios that you can start to understand how you can react to these things and whether you're going to be able to go with them or not. As far as the length of this, we're talking three to eight minutes, which is the VO2 max threshold limit. And three to eight minutes really isn't a long time. So if you can get through these, then you can move back down to lactate threshold or tempo with the confidence knowing that it didn't hurt you that bad. And so understanding that a six and a seven is a short term, but not a sprint, and your brain and your breathing will still need to be controlled as well as your legs, but your legs are not as important. But you don't need to think about the power coming out of your legs as much if you're able to stay on top of the gear that you're in. It's only when you start getting greater than RPE of seven that you move into anaerobic capacity and neuromuscular power. That's when you have absolutely no choice to think about what you're doing. You're based on instinct. Your body is firing for very short periods of time. And so you're probably not even thinking about your breathing either. The body is just screaming at you and it wants to stop, but you have to keep going. That's the breakdown of the RPEs. But what I recommend is really thinking about what your brain is doing, what your breathing is doing, and what your legs and body are doing at each of these zones. So if you're going out training in a certain zone and you're doing an interval, say a lactate threshold interval for five minutes, think about what those three elements are doing in your body and then get familiar with that. If you have to tweak them because you want to improve them, then work on one at a time. Think about what you want your brain to think. Think about how you want to breathe and think about what your legs are doing. And this feel is then going to be what you're going to then associate with being at that level. And if you're comfortable with that and you've prepared for that, that's going to be the advantage of knowing the RPE versus just looking down at power or heart rate data and not actually understanding what your body is doing when you're in this mode. Staying on the topic of feel, but in a different way of knowing how your body reacts during and after a big training block. So we're looking at more of a macro level here. I was sent a great article by Craig. So I definitely had tip to Craig. It's published in this month's Velo News magazine and it's written by a guy called Trevor Connor. It references the hormones that the body produces over stressful situations, calling them natural painkillers that the body produces under fight or flight situations, which for training cyclists is intense workouts. The article points out the release of hormones like adrenaline, 
noradrenaline, and cortisol, and it puts those into your system as part of the fight or flight response in response to the stress that you put your body under in training. So essentially, yes, this is what we are trying to manage in training and recovery, but understanding how your body reacts is important, especially because like the article says, you aren't that much stronger, you just can't feel how much it really hurts. So it's tricking you into thinking that you're flying when you really may be doped up with natural hormones. I was going to go through a breakdown of the hormones, but I think it just drags out the point too much. But when you're thinking about what is going into your system, the adrenaline and the cortisol, these are all hormones that focus your body on just producing an output. They want you to survive whatever the stress is created by. So this would have meant at a certain time our absolute survival, but right now it doesn't. But the tricky thing with these actual hormones is they're very bad. And I did discuss this in the overtraining episode, but The bad thing really is that the body isn't repairing itself when these hormones are floating around. So once you take time off for recovery, you get the full effect of your training and then some because all of the punishment that you put your body through in the last training block catches up with you and your body has to shut down to recover or it's going to move into that overtrained state which we all know is super duper bad news. So how does this relate to feel and what are the takeaways? Firstly, awareness Because if you're fatigued and you can't hit your numbers, then think back to your last or your current training block and did it have the potential to take more out of you than usual? If so, understanding your body and allowing it to be in shutdown mode while it repairs the damage is really going to be the best thing for your training. There are other factors at play here that can help you recognize this, such as being aware of your mood and metrics like stress balance, which really do go a long way. But things like stress balance only account for bike activities. And I've got a tentative solution to help you recognize what's going on with your body and how to adjust to the presence of these hormones when they do arrive into your system. But to do that, we have to move into the tech hacks and products section because it is a product. It's called My Athlete. If I've got that right, it's an iPhone app that measures a heart rate metric called heart rate variability. I am aware that this has been around for a long time, but consumer-grade heart rate variability monitoring has been around in the form of First Beat Athlete Software and Sanoto. Also, certain polar models have had it for a while, and even this iPhone app has been around since 2010. So what is HRV and why is it important to measuring the stress that's created by training? Well, heart rate varies with every heartbeat and heart rate variability is the variation of the beat-to-beat intervals, also known as RR intervals. So the intervals between beats apparently can tell you a lot about what's going on in your body. HRV is also said to be affected by aerobic fitness and HRV of a well-conditioned heart is generally large at rest. Other factors that affect HRV are age, genetics, body position, time of day, and health status. But during exercise, HRV decreases as heart rate and exercise intensity increase. HRV also decreases during periods of mental stress. So HRV is regulated by the autonomic nervous system. The parasympathetic activity decreases heart rate and increases HRV, where sympathetic activity increases heart rate and decreases HRV. Okay, that's going to sound like gobbledygook to most people listening to this, and it does still sound like that to me. But it's really serving the purpose of monitoring recovery and aiming to provide a metric which to base your training off. 
I've spoken about the SaaS app RestWise in the past, but the interesting thing about using HRV as a lone indicator is the studies that link mental and social aspects like stress and emotional arousal to a decreased HRV, which is bad. The lower the number, the more stressed or under pressure you actually are. So as a single metric, it seems to be more useful than just taking your heart rate in the morning. And for me, it is very early days yet, but my number shot down after a crappy night's sleep, which I know reduced sleep under heavy load is not going to help my body recover. It recommended a light training day, which I didn't adhere to. And this morning, my number had bounced back to normal, what I believe to be normal. So I can't report on its accuracy or its effect just yet. I'll report back in about a month or so and let you know my thoughts. I'm on the, in the middle of a tough training block, so I'm really curious to see how this helps me avoid getting sick and overtrained. The research conducted around the metric for this includes the presence of the fight or flight hormones mentioned, which is exactly what we're trying to manage in overtraining and recovery and ensuring they have disappeared and the body has recovered enough to continue a new block of training. So there's the link between HRV and your natural painkillers and how you can monitor them while you're actually in the middle of a training block or after a training block in a rest week to see if they have gone completely. If you want to check out more, I would definitely go to the website. It's around $10 for the app itself. There is a caveat with that though because you do need a adapter if you have a normal heart rate monitor strap or you do need a Bluetooth heart rate monitor strap to get the signal into your phone. Plus, you do need an iPhone. And I'm not sure if there is an Android version. Sorry, I didn't check. But I'll let you know and see how it's going. And I'll see if I can match it to what I'm feeling like after a big training block and whether it is accurate in what it's telling me. Now, let's get to the quote from the top of the show. Looks like we've got a Farnese Vini issue at the moment. Uh, dead center in the middle of the road suggests a mechanical issue. Finally gets himself over there, and the man in the underpants stands by just to uh, make sure that everything's all right. <laughs> and in fact, he's holding his bike for him. <laughs> just what you need. A uh, nutter stand. Here we are. We are back, and uh, the man in the underpants doing a very good job of holding on to the broken machine. Yeah, looks like he might get to keep it in a moment. No, I think he knows. <laughs> there we are. Where's your other bike? Check out Superman. <laughs> They've gone off without it. They've gone off without it. He's running his bike. down the road He's running down. <laughs> Oh, this is genius. The man in the underpants He's has just got, got himself bike. a Farnese Vini bike. <laughs> there we are. I think they'll probably <laughs> be told in a moment by uh, those back at base. You've ridden off without the bike, which is still with the underpant man. It's some English-speaking commentary team from the 2012 Giro. Apparently, this bike was reported stolen, and if you watch the footage, you will clearly see that it wasn't. I'm sure he was being a slight opportunist, but Mr. Underpants Man wasn't in the wrong here. I don't know the conclusion, but it's a pretty funny clip either way. But that is it for me this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 